0: It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King.
1: Welcome to Crazy in the King 2020.
0: So if we were on video, like you see my hands up, like I scored a touchdown. Now, mind you, the reference to the touchdown is kind of a falsity because I know I don't watch football. I know you do, but but we are about to score. Like I'm excited to be back. We have not had a recorded conversation. Hey, good people out there listening, I just want you to know that Julie and I, we do talk when we're not recording, and sometimes the best conversations are the ones that we have via text message, but nonetheless, I am happy to be back in 20 with my pod partner. What's popping?
1: Oh my gosh, it's uh kicking off crazy already in 2020, it but is. I have to ask, what were your new year's resolutions?
0: Yeah, yeah. So let me tell you, uh, I didn't really make resolutions but what I did do, um, and I talked about this on my Sirius XM show and certainly will share it brief briefly here. It wasn't so much so around the resolution, Julie, for me, it really is around how do I make myself in this diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging work with a focus on recruiting? How do I make myself more accessible without necessarily having to be on site with a client? How do I put something in place that will allow people to tap into my process, my thinking? How do I allow people to tap into my genius, for lack of a better term? And I certainly don't mean that in a braggadocious way, but the way that I do this work. So that was that was my declaration for the year that before the end of Q1, I want to have a solution in place that people can invest in um, without necessarily making the larger investment to bring me to their, their site.
1: Nice. I like that. Focusing on efficiencies, but recognizing it is, it's hard to lose that personal touch when you do consulting and, and the work that we do.
0: It is. Yeah. How about you? Did you make uh, a new year's resolution?
1: Well, I mean, other than you know committing to flossing on a daily basis <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean it, you know, I think the the normal things that I've been focused on for the last year continue to be my my focus. One is growing our business at disability Solutions, but also making sure that I'm really, really enjoying the last couple years of high school life with with my kiddos before they all run off on me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no that's beautiful. And and, and in addition, in addition to the resolution, uh do you have a prediction? Like do you have you been reading, uh have you been feeling talking to other people is there something that you think is going to pop up in 20 that may not be on our radars as of right now?
1: I really, really think that 2020 is going to be a huge year for disability and inclusion. We've changed so much since the 2016 elections. I think that 2020 is going to be such a driver for us as a community, and it's going to awaken so many more businesses to what our community is capable of doing. And and that's with the assumption that the economy holds and we still continue to kind of rock and roll and DNI doesn't start to take a back seat, which I don't anticipate. But I think it's gonna be a really, really good year for, for my community and the, the D and I community overall. What's uh, what's on your brain for twenty twenty?
0: Yeah, I honestly think that uh, we are going to have uh, an increase in conversation around diversity and inclusion. I just think that more organizations are beginning to recognize that they have to do more than just put equal opportunity employer on their website. Uh, that they have to do a bit more than hiring an individual, placing them in the role and then not necessarily giving them the bandwidth, the resources and the support needed to affect change inside of the organization. So I think we're going to see a different demonstration in the conversation around diversity and inclusion. I also think, though, uh, Julie, that we will uh, we're going to see some. Uh I don't want to call it scandal but we're going to see some me too type some times up type uh revelations later in the year. I really believe that. Really? Yeah, I okay. absolutely believe that. You know because I just think that more people are going to to find frustration in uh a lack of movement, a lack of support. Um you know, you've taken that complaint that uh infraction to human resources or to your superior. And nothing has been done with that. I just firmly believe that we are going to see more individuals and I'm this is non gender specific. I think that we are going to see more individuals speaking up in ways that say, you know what, enough is enough. And we, we need to tell someone what life really is like inside of said organization. Uh, and we're tired of being silent about that. And I'm here for it. You know, I'm no, I'm, I'm all for it, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that I want organizations to go out of business uh, or uh, anything like that. I just think that the more we can we can be held accountable, I think the better our workplaces will be. And I firmly believe that people are going to speak up, you know, so so th- those are my two predictions.
1: I like those. Let's ride those into 2020. And I think that you actually have our first 2020 news story of the year. What what you got?
0: Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about speaking up, this story actually came out a, a couple of weeks ago. So for our listeners, if you've already read about it, we'd love to hear you chime in, maybe go to the Facebook page and uh, you know, put some comments up when you see Julie and I drop this episode on Twitter, you know, put some comments as to what you thought we really would love to open up some dialogue. But this story, Julie, came out, it actually came out beginning of the month, but it was really something that started to uh, begin to take shape last October, November 2019. And it's about uh, about the West Virginia cadets. Uh, I don't know if you saw the image, it was circulating real, real heavy, uh, but West Virginia's governor fired an entire class of cadets. Did you see that by chance?
1: Oh, I sure did. Yeah. It it was hard to miss.
0: This story really was released earlier in uh, January, but I found it important enough uh, for us to share it with our listeners um, on this particular episode. And, And really, it's a story that took shape late last year, like in November. And so I'm actually going to read from the official report. I don't want to cover, you know, articles for magazines or anything. I'm going to read from the official report. So did you see the image of the West Virginia cadets that that were fired?
1: Yes, I I saw the image, the horrifying image, but I didn't get a chance to read the story until we were prepping for this podcast. And I think it is a really important way to start 2020.
0: Yeah. So the official report, and this is from the office of the secretary department of military affairs and public safety down in Charleston, West Virginia, the official report, uh, presented to the honorable Jim justice governor of West Virginia. The report starts on Wednesday, Wednesday, November 27th, 2019, following the Corrections Academy graduation of class 18 in Glenville, West Virginia, we received information about unbecoming conduct on the part of two staff members and cadets from basic class 18. These individuals failed to maintain the high level of professionalism demanded by your administration. Again, official report going to the governor of West Virginia, Governor Jim Justice. So here's the deal. Most of the members of this basic class 18 of cadets, many of them were participating in what is categorized as an open hand salute. It was the same salute, Julie, that was used back in the days of Hitler. And I'm sure you've seen that salute where they raise their arms straight and you know, it might be a closed fist or the fingers may be extended, but it was an admiration type gesture for Hitler. And, and for me, it's similar to the Confederate flag. Like when I see the Confederate flag, I think some things, you understand what I'm saying? I think some things when I see that, that flag, I think some things when I see a, a hand, an arm extended, uh, not, not straight, but at an angle with, I, I think some things when I see that. So needless to say, a lot of the cadets were participating in this gesture. And so in the end, what they did after they went through an exhaustive investigation, they actually terminated three staff members. They put an additional four staff members, um, were suspended without pay. And then the person who wrote the report—this is the part that I enjoy. I, I'm just saying, I, I just kind of like this part. Uh, the person who wrote the report, the cabinet secretary said, "Yo, we ain't playing no games. We recommending the termination of all 34 cadets participating in this open-handed salute and the closed fist salute in that class photograph that was circulating heavily." across all of social media and the internet. And yo, when I saw that, Julie, I was just clapping. Like, I was happy that the governor and the other people in the administration felt it important enough that they stamp it with, yo, no bullshit, we ain't starting these games, we gonna make a a, a real, real statement, and, and this is just unacceptable. And I applaud them for taking that positive and aggressive stand. You understand what I'm saying? Now, there were some casualties, but they were casualties because they didn't speak up. And we can talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think it's important to take one step back. And when I first started reading this class, it was the the basic training class. And I'm like, the basic training class of what? And it was actually yep. the basic training class of the West Virginia Division of Corrections and rehabilitation. So, what we're talking yep. about is indiv- our individuals who are going to be prison guards, parole officers, those kind of very critical roles to help rehabilitate people who are offenders back into society, and to keep offenders safe when they are incarcerated and coming out of training. They're told that it is not only okay, but it is absolutely appropriate and approved to use the the Nazi gesture or the Nazi salute in their graduating class. And I mean, taking a look at blurred faces looks like most of those faces are white. There's a couple of people of color that that are in that photo. But that was what was equally as shocking to me is, who those people, what role they were going to be a part of within a critical system for so many communities that are disparately impacted by incarceration, especially in the state of West Virginia, where we see that there are roughly, let's say, 13,000 West Virginia residents who are locked up, and about 28% of them are people of color. I'm sorry, are Black, about 32% are people of color, if you include Latinx individuals, versus the population of only 4% of West Virginia are Black or Latinx. And so they are making up already a disproportionate part of the prison system. And now we know a lot more about the culture of the training that goes into that prison system.
0: Yeah. So let me just say this to you, you know, in that photo, again, it's 34 of the trainees that are in the photo, uh, given the Nazi salute, uh, and under a sign that reads hail bird, Uh, Bird was the leader of their class. She was like the person giving them most of their day to day guidance and instruction. Uh, And so they were saying, hail Bird, i.e. Hail Hitler. Uh, But it's important to note when you bring race into the equation, it's important to note, uh, according to the report, again, the official report. uh, It has been said by a number of the cadets that this entire gesture was allegedly started by an African-American cadet. Now, let me just say this to you. I I find that problematic in like all types of ways. And I really want to hop in the whip and ride down to, (laughs) you you know, just get on the freeway, gas up, head down to West Virginia and have a very sincere conversation with him. Like what, you know, what, what, what possibly is going through your mind that, that you would submit yourself and introduce to others that it's okay for you to, to display this oppressive, you know, sign, like it's crazy what people in our workplaces think is funny. Like, cause I'm assuming, you know, not that I've spoken, but I'm assuming that he thought it would be funny to do this. And, and there were people inside of the class. And I mentioned casualties. There were cadets, Julie, that were not comfortable with this at all and that they were not participating in this gesture while the classes were taking place. But they didn't speak up for concern or around their 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 being able to matriculate through the class. They had concerns about whether or not they would actually be able to graduate and subsequently move into the roles that you mentioned a moment ago so there were people that that had reservations but in the end during this class picture that's the reason why you see some of them with a closed fist because if you think about uh John Carlos and you think Black Panther there are those times where arms have been raised straight in the air and it's a closed fist that is the 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 image that some of them put forth but even in doing that they were a casualty and they too uh, lost their job but I think this African American if in fact he really did start this like he he he's just you know he is severely severely suffering from uh, something Stockholm syndrome or something (laughs) there
1: I think there's, there's really two pieces of that that stand out to me. And first is the, the way that oppression and discrimination and racism and ableism continue to exist in our society is because people who are not comfortable are too scared, too weak, whatever your your classification of them is, to stand up. And so the people in power and the people who are the aggressors are allowed to continue their behavior because those who are more timid to speak up against wrong or who are feel unable because they need a paycheck or they need to justify their silence with something else don't stand up. I don't know if you saw um, Minda Hart's tweet a couple uh, maybe a week ago about an action that happened to her at the Atlanta airport where she was being called horrible racist names by someone who was on the the little sliding escalator escalator the people mover with her and yeah. all of the people stood behind her said nothing and that's how we lose
0: yeah so so let me tell you, you you've been around me now for a, a bit more than a year. When did we meet Julie? It was September of 2018, right? Yeah, 18. So we've been we've been rocking for a little more than a year, about 18 months at this point. And I'm telling you, and it has not changed for me since I started doing this work 2010. The number one step in making progress is people being empowered. You have to find your voice for all of the silence that we have looming around us. In our communities and in our workplaces, you are absolutely right. We are providing cover for these acts of aggression, these acts of prejudicial treatment, these overt races. We are providing them with cover through our silence. And for anyone out there listening, if if you do nothing else, we want I want you to take this pod and I want you to post it all across social media. Racism has no like expiration date. And so even though this is a story from January and something that began in Q4, you know, put this thing all over your social media, forward it to your people in HR, forward it to your chief diversity officer, forward it to the CEO or the founder of your organization. You gotta have a voice. You gotta speak up. And what happened to Minda was absolutely unacceptable. And if there were any African-American men or any white men or any Hispanic men or any Asian men or any men, I I mean, it doesn't matter to me if there were any men on that uh, escalator belt standing within earshot of Minda and you said nothing, you are a coward. For the police that she talked to, cowards, cowards, that is absolutely unacceptable. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, the last thing that I'm going to say about this story is um, I just wanted to ask a question. Like, I really wanted to ask, what is the responsibility of em- as employers to discuss basic history? Like in the story, there were people, uh, this lady by the name of Bird, who was the leader of the class. She said she didn't know what the salute meant. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But but so so my question is. What is the responsibility of employers to discuss basic history as it relates to culture, as it relates to race in an effort to to nurture better inclusion? So uh, I just want to leave you all with that. We're going to move to the next story. We will put the links in the show notes, as we always do. Uh, And in this case, we're going to uh, include a link not just to a story, uh, but we're going to include a link to the official report. I'm sure Julie will take care of that.
1: Yes, I absolutely will. So story number two is Teen Vogue and their commitment to disability focused content. And what caught my eye this week is they did a story on the 2020 Democrats. We don't talk a lot of politics here and we won't today still, but which of the 2020 Democratic candidates are taking disability rights seriously? an op-ed in yesterday, January 13th, Teen Vogue by a a contributor named Haley Moss, who's actually a person with autism who has done quite a bit of writing for Teen Vogue. And and you've heard me say this, and I, I kind of mentioned it at the beginning. In 2016, there was just a huge movement in the disability community to have our voices heard and to be at the table. And so... For so long, our community has been represented by allies and caregivers, and those are the voices that you've heard from. And there's really been a movement over the past, and I would say over the past 18 to 24 months, to really take back that stage and to say, you're not making decisions, you're not doing things, you're not speaking for us we have to be there. It has to be with us, with us included. And I think this is just a great representation of more of what we're going to see in 2020. Um, First of all, in a generation where the ADA turns 30 this year, the reauthorization of the IDEA legislation, the IDEA Act, which includes, um, requires the individuals with disabilities to be, requires individuals with disabilities to be included in a part of a fair and free public education system. is also that reauthorization is turning 30 as well. And so we have an entire generation of young people who are getting into now going to start getting into a place of leadership where their expectations for disability and inclusion are entirely different if you're over the age of 25 and that i think is really what's going to be driving the dni conversation for this next generation and better understanding that we are intersectional and that we are a part of every diversity community, but that we're taking our place at the table now because the expectation of inclusion is now ingrained in a generation and it's not going to be so easy to to slough us off or push us back anymore. And that's really, really exciting and empowering for for us. I mean, it, it definitely gets me started in 2020 an entirely different way of talking to companies about the disability community and why we matter. And we're going to see more articles like this from Teen Vogue. We're going to see candidates um, doing Crip the Vote chats. We saw Elizabeth Warren actually did one the first week of the year. Um, Most of the major Democratic candidates have come out with a written disability and inclusion policy. We're seeing much more employment at the policy level and at the campaign level for people with disabilities. And I think that this year in 2020, the election is really gonna drive that conversation much further for us. And as employers, we have to be prepared to have that conversation, to recognize that this community is going to be up and coming, and have different expectations about what employment um, and true inclusion really means for us, and so it was—it was very exciting, I guess. And and I will say that, um, you know, just as kind of you mentioned, torn. What is the basic history kind of component of of or what what's the basic responsibility of a an employer to teach them basic history. And you and I talk a lot about that we have generations now who have not lived through the the World War II, who have not lived through pre-D, pre-ADA years, and we have to help our staff our dni leaders and our employers understand those basic functions of history and and part of that journey towards diversity and inclusion and not take for granted i think that they're learning it in their schools and so i think this sort of brings that wholly around to a, a lot of change to come but a lot of ways that employers are going to have to recognize where we fit in, in this overall journey and how we continue to drive appropriate conversations that keep the history and the opportunity, you know, front of mind.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it, it looks like um, it looks like July may be and I'll do a little more digging, Julie, but it looks like July may be around the time that they kind of officially turn 30. So so yep. maybe it, it'll be good for us to uh you know, put it as part of our content map to see if we can get someone on from uh, ADA.gov to contribute to the conversation, to perhaps uh, give our listeners a peek as to some of the things that are being worked on or legislated behind the scenes. I think that that, that could be an interesting conversation. Uh, but more importantly, in absent of them, I think uh, for our listeners, you know, one of the reasons why we brought it up is is for you to think about how how can you make people feel more seen inside of the workplace you know Julie talked about Haley Moss's article uh, here on teen Vogue and one of the things that she said and and it's said often by a number of people is she finally felt like she was seen and that she mattered from the presidential debate stage this year not before this not year not before. Yeah, no, not this, before. So
1: this was the first year.
0: That's right. So I think, Julie, uh, in bringing this up, it's not so much so that, oh, wow, they're turning 30 and then you keep doing what you're, you've you been doing. Right. And trust me, we understand and recognize that you have a calendar full of priorities, activities, tasks that need to be done. We recognize that. We're not trying to create more work for anyone listening. But but what we are saying is if you if you have that soft reminder if you coalesce and share the information with others in your workplace, hopefully someone will pick up the mantle. Perhaps you all can collaborate together and make the project easier to come to fruition. But how can you honor and recognize, you know, individuals in your workplace or in the community uh, that that uh, you don't know, have some level of disability so so that they feel seen? Yeah, that's what it's about.
1: Yep. It's all about being a part of it and, and having our place and our voices heard. So I think this probably brings um, episode two, our, our first official episode of 2020 together, rounds us out nicely. But we have to continue our tradition of name drops and um, hear about where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, actually. And I want to do a couple of resources before we get to that. Uh, One of the resources we're going to drop is a 2020 diversity calendar shared by James E. Wright. Uh, So we're going to make sure that we post the link uh, in the show notes and we'll tweet it out periodically. Uh, I want to do a better job of revisiting past episodes and grabbing little nuggets like this to continue to keep them fresh and on your radar which is a good point for us to say, make sure you follow Julie and I on social media. We'll be sure to give you our handles. Uh, But another resource that I think is incredible, I get their newsletter every single week, is Elyria, A-L-E-R-I-A, uh, you can go to their website at tech, A-L-E-R-I-A dot tech. Um, there you'll find articles. You can sign up for that newsletter I mentioned and other assessment options. A lot of you out there are trying to figure out how to start, where to start. Well, you may want to take a, a self-driven, self-guided, uh, assessment. Uh, and you can find one of them, just one of the many, but you can find it at Illyria
1: Love it. We will post those on our socials and in the show notes. Show sure uh,
0: notes. Show sure notes. So uh, give me a name drop, Julie. Uh,
1: so my name drop this week is Seattle Seahawks, Shaquem Griffin, who oh boy, who tackled very stoutly my quarterback, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, um, on the field, and it was actually his first NFL career sack and is officially the second fastest sack of all times in the season at 2.77 seconds. And in case you don't know who Shaquine is, he was featured on a Gillette ad last year. He's a person with a disability who was born missing a hand, but it absolutely has not stopped him and certainly didn't stop him from taking down the best quarterback in uh, the NFL today, without question. And so my name drop absolutely to to Griffin and to the Seattle Seahawks organization for, again, showing that they are an inclusive employer and that they recognize that talent doesn't fit in one bucket. If you can do the job and you can do it at 2.77 seconds, then you're a good fit there. What about you sidebar (laughs)
0: sidebar (laughs) sidebar. Hey, so listen, if you are listening and you have any connections whatsoever to Shaquem Griffin, I need you to make sure you tell him that we hollered and shouted him out on crazy and the King. And we would love for him to come give us a good voiceover, a good plug, a good something. Tell him if he's feeling generous, you know, whatever, just you know, you got some time on your hands, young King, uh, come join us if you will. So, so my shout out is, uh, I have two, uh, Adrian Holtham who, uh, listens over in Australia. And, and if we are thinking and we're conscious and aware, we know that they are experiencing some climatic challenges right now. Uh, and just to know that we have a listener over in Australia, uh, I just wanted to, uh, send just an airwave shout and, Uh, a digital whisper of peace and some level of normalcy to to Adrian, to his family, to his friends and to all of my other friends and all of the other folks over in Australia. My other uh, shout out is Lisa Mae Brunson. Lisa Mae Brunson um, is the founder of Wonder Women Tech. Uh, She actually joined the board of QB Consulting. Uh, I love the 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 ladies over at QB, uh, you got to look them up over at QB Consulting. But uh, these women are making major moves in the diversity and inclusion space. Noemi Jimenez, uh, she goes by she and her and Sam Harstock. She also goes by she and her. They are the founders of QB Consulting, and they've uh, added Lisa Mae Brunson to their board. Uh, and I think that it's going to be a beautiful thing for them.
1: Wonderful. So I'm off to Dallas in the next couple of weeks and then off to Smart Recruiters in early February. Where, where are you off to this month, Tor?
0: Uh, so I am stationary until January 28th and then it begins. And what I will tell you is I am going to do something in London that I don't believe has been done before. Uh so the recruitment events company the folks that put on RecFest they actually built a inclusive hiring event uh which is sold out it's their first time doing an inclusive hiring event uh the event is sold out which they are happy about I am happy about uh and so I'm going to be in London the last week of of January
1: Awesome. Well, I think that brings us to a close. Would you like to take us out?
0: Absolutely. So you can follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Sowash. That's J-U-L-I-E-S-O-W-A-S-H, Julie Sowash on Twitter. And you can rock with me at Torrin Ellis. And I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to, as we said earlier, but I reinforce now, find your voice in the workplace. Be a better human. Have an awesome rest of the week. Catch me Sunday on SiriusXM channel 126 at 1 p.m. For now, kid is ghost.
1: See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy and the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torn Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torn Ellis or Julie Sowash and also follow our hashtag Crazy and the King. This episode was produced by my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash. And our music is by DJ Sell, straight out of Baltimore. You can find Crazy and the King wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate us. And if you like it, share it with a friend. We'll see you soon.